Well, welcome to our church. Um, my name is Bill. I am the ministries pastor here. And a couple things. One, we recognize there's a huge pile of wiggly scattered throughout this room. That's fine. Um, remember, parents, nobody's bothered as much as you are, and so it's really okay. Um, kids, we are going to take you back to day three. We're going to take you back to Wednesday which is when you did Daniel chapter 3. But you're going to have to help me take your parents there, okay? So reach into the pew Bible in front of you, reach in the pew rack in front of you, pull out one of these, which is a pew Bible, has the letters ESV on it and says Holy Bible. And help your parents get over to page 739. That's the scripture we're going to be doing tonight. Now, it's a bit of a long passage So what we're actually going to do is we're going to read a little bit of it and talk about it and then read a little bit more and talk about it and just work our way through. So pray with me if you would, everybody. God, our Father, we pray that you would show us a lot through this this part of the Bible tonight. We pray that you would touch our hearts, that we would know your word better and would know you better and we would love Jesus more. Would you do that in us and through us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So kids, three questions to start us off. Ready? Two of them are easy, one's not. First question, kids. Have you ever gotten in trouble for doing something you shouldn't have? Of course you have, right? You're kids. Second question, it's just as easy. Have you ever gotten in trouble for not doing something you should have? Yes, of course you have. Now here's the third one. Have you ever gotten in trouble for doing what you were supposed to? Uh, That one doesn't happen as much, does it? But Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get in trouble for doing what they were supposed to. And because they did the right thing, you know what else they got? They got to see a miracle. They got to see God with them in the fiery furnace. And that really points us to what we get out of this passage tonight, that we get to see that God is with us even when things are really, really hard. And so we're really just going to look at two things tonight. We're going to do it quick. One, that we get in trouble. And two, that God is with us when we get in trouble. So you ready? Number one is what, kids? We get in trouble. All right. They certainly did. Listen to the first seven verses of the passage. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. By the way, a cubit is basically the size of my forearm, if you're wondering what in the world that means. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the, king, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So why is the king demanding this? What is it that he wants? What's going on here? Well, here's the tip-off. What gets repeated twice? Basic rule of reading your Bible, if it says something and then says it again, that's probably something really important. So what's the thing that gets repeated twice? Well, it's all the peoples and all the nations and all the languages. In other words, it's this emphasis that again and again, the king says everybody has to worship this image. Why? Why? Well, here's what it wasn't. This was not the king trying to get everybody to give up their gods and follow his. The only people at this time, for the most part, who believed in a single god were the Jews. This king believed in lots and lots and lots of gods, and he wasn't saying, get rid of yours and follow mine, but he was saying, you've got to worship mine too. You've got to worship my too. Well, again, why? Well, it seems because there was a goal at unity here. There was a unifying aim. Every group, every culture, every society, little or large, has some kind of unifying thing, some element that makes it stick together. Otherwise, it just flies apart. Kids, this is true in school. You have different groups within your schools, right? And there's something that makes each of those groups like each other, stay together. You've got the math geniuses. You've got the baseball and football and basketball guys. You've got the folks who are in orchestra. And, you know, sometimes you feel closer to that little group than your whole school, right? But something keeps you all together that you're at one school. Well, adults are really no different. Every adult society has the exact same thing going on. I was talking to Katula Katula, one of our members here. He's from Tanzania. And he was telling me about his time growing up. Um, kids, take your, when you go home, make your parents look up Tanzania and show you where it is. It's in Africa. And he was saying that when his country was formed, you had the combination of the archipelago offshore and the mainland that unified. And Africa, as most of you may know, is very tribal. People will tend to be more loyal to their tribe than their country. So the first president of Tanzania forced everybody to go to school with people from different tribes because he knew then they'd all have to speak one language instead of their native languages. And he did everything he could to mix everybody up. And he did everything he could to make people say, I'm from Tanzania, not this is my tribe. And so if you read the literature, it's hailed or infamously hailed as one of the best examples of what's called ethnic suppression that's ever been done. And whether you like it or whether you don't like it, whether it was good or bad, which is an open question, it worked. Katula will tell you, he told me, he said, it's considered very rude in Tanzania to ask somebody what their tribe is. Because the identity is, I'm first part of this nation. Well, that's what the king's doing here. He's not using education. He's not using language. He's using religion. But he's saying, we need my whole big empire. It won't work if the people don't think they're part of one thing. So everybody must worship my God so that my empire will grow. And the thing is, if you break that kind of rule, you get punished. At elementary school in the playground, 
If you break the unwritten rules, if you ask the wrong way, do you get punished? Yeah, you get made fun of. Well, kids, it's not really different in the adult life. There are all sorts of unwritten rules that stick our society together. And if you don't keep them, you get punished. There are different ways it happens. There are different ways that our society holds unity. But if we break them, we feel the heat. You don't get the invitations. You don't get the promotions. You don't get the social respect. Even these days, you get summary execution via Twitter. But the way it works is our society has certain things that bind it together. And if you don't keep them, you feel the heat. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now here's the question for you. Kids, if you remember Tuesday, day two, at the end of day two, after his dream, Nebuchadnezzar said that God was a pretty big deal. You want to hear what he said? It's the end of chapter two, same page. He said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery to me. That sounds like he kind of believes in God, doesn't it? But then what's he doing now? What happened? How could it be that the king who said this immediately turns around and sets up a 60-foot-high golden image and says, worship it? Here's why. He had been impressed by God's power, but that didn't mean he'd understood who God was. He had been impressed that God could do something important, but he hadn't yet gotten to the heart of who God was. He thought the true God was just one of many. Sure, a powerful one, but just some other God. The thing is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that that's different. They know that this is not an optional thing. In fact, if they do what the king has commanded, they will be breaking one of God's Ten Commandments, the second commandment. And so they say, no, we must not do this. You know, quick aside, folks. Christianity is not just what we choose to make it. We don't get to pick and choose the pieces of it. Christianity is a set of things that we believe because they're true, and some things are not optional. It was not optional whether or not they bowed down to the image. They knew they could not. Now, listen to the next verses. I'll read us verses 8 to 15. Look back down in your Bible. Read with me. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and any kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now then, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn and pipe and lyre and trigon and harp and bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace 
And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego apparently weren't making a big deal out of this, right? They weren't on the front stage filing protests, but they were refusing to comply with what the king demanded. So it can be okay to quietly go about your business and be different, but there does come a time when the issue gets forced. And the issue gets forced by all the pagan astrologers. Look again at the last verse of chapter 2. Daniel asked that these three men be appointed and promoted over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That's a big deal. They just got promoted above everybody else, and this is what those other people seize on. This is workplace rivalry. Look at verse 12. O king, haven't you been great to these people? O king, haven't you given them a huge promotion? O king, haven't you given them great salaries, lots of respect? Now look how they pay you back, these guys say. They pay you back by ignoring what you told them to do. They go to the king. The king calls them in and he says, we're going to give you one more chance. Look how gracious I'm being. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to do it? And look what their rejection will mean. Look at what he says in verse 14. You neither serve more my gods nor worship the image of gold I have set up. Notice those aren't the same thing. You neither serve my gods, nor worship the image of gold I've set up. In other words, it was bad enough that you ignored my gods. But when it was quiet and under the covers, he could take that, though he didn't like it. But now this second half, not worshiping that image of gold, that is one step too far. He says, not worshiping the same things as the rest of society. That's tolerated, but not liked. But now publicly showing your nonconformity. That's a step too far. Nebuchadnezzar would tolerate their Jewishness so long as it didn't change what they did. So long as they did the same things everybody else did. But when it started to impact their behavior, that was simply unacceptable. Well, realize that's the way our world is today, right? Your world will tolerate your Christianness so long as you do the same things everybody else does. And there'll be some times when you can fly below the radar. But sooner or later, not always, sometimes the issue gets forced. And look what that causes. I'm now in verse 16. I'll read until verse 23. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace." They are remarkably bold, aren't they? They trust God and they are determined to do what God wants above what their world demands. 
So they say, look at verse 17, we know God will deliver us. Notice they don't just say, we know God can deliver us. What do they say? We know God will deliver us. There's no lack of faith here. They straight up believe that God will rescue them. But there's also a humility to them. Look at verse 18. How does that fit? They say, but if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Well, why? How does this fit? Well, because they know their God and they are very convinced they know what God will do. But they also know they aren't God. And so they're willing to admit, hey, we might have got it wrong. We might have read it wrong, not about who God is, but about what's his plan. So they're humble enough to admit that they could die here. That it's possible God has a different plan than what they think. And even if he does, and even if that plan involves them burning to death, they are still not going to worship anyone but God himself. You know what that means? That means that the real miracle happened long before they fell into the furnace. It means that God had worked in their hearts to believe in him above everything else. That they were willing to do it God's way no matter what it would take. And that is a real miracle. Note what their rejection means. Note what it says, verse 14. If you don't serve this, then you're going into death. You're going into fire. And the punishment they risk, after all, is absolute monarchs aren't used to being told no. So, in his rage against these young men that he thinks are ungrateful, he sends them to be thrown into the fire. They get in trouble because they do what's right. And here's the big difference between them and us. Here's the thing. They ended up in the furnace because they did what they should. They ended up in the furnace for resisting the temptation of the world by resisting worshiping the things their world told them to worship, the big golden idol. You know what? That's usually not our problem. What did we say at the beginning? We usually don't get in trouble because we did what we should, right? Far more often, when my tail gets in a crack, the reason it is is precisely because I'm not like these three young men. Because in fact, I haven't resisted worshiping the things my world insists on. In other words, if we were these three young men in the story, let's admit it, we would have given in. We would have failed. We would have not done what they did. Because the simple fact is we worship the wrong things. You know, we would fail the test that they passed because we worship the things that our world does. You know, back then, it was huge statues of gold. Today, it's a bit more metaphorical, but it's the exact same dynamic. Here's the very simple test. Ready? What do you think about all the time? What's the thing you just can't stop thinking about? Kids, students, what is so important to you that your mind is always thinking about it? Whatever that is, that's probably your idol. And if it's God, you're doing great. But you know what? At least for most of my life, I'm thinking about does everybody else like me? And if that's what you're thinking about all the time, you'll spend all your time trying to make sure you do the right things to get them to like you. Or you're thinking about, I want to be good at this sport. And if so, you'll spend all your time working and thinking about, and you'll let that control you. Or I want to have good grades, and so I'll do everything I can and spend all my time and effort to let that control what I do. Understand, that's the dynamic of having an idol. 
that you focus all your thought and attention on it. And hey, adults, we aren't any different, right? What's the thing you think about all the time? Is it how to succeed at work? Is it your public image? Is it your Facebook page or your number of Twitter followers? Is it something else online? Is it getting your kids to behave in a way that will reflect well on you? Whatever it is, you and I are tempted, just like our kids are, to make that thing an idol. To spend all our effort bowing down to that success or that image of ourselves, an image that's taken from the world around us, that says, worship this and things will go well for you. Our world wants us to worship the same things it does, and people will attack you if you don't. Whether the thing it wants is a lifestyle, a pluralism, a value system, whatever. But just like Shadrach, Neshach, and Abednego, we know we cannot do it. That we cannot worship anything but God. And that means sometimes you get in trouble for doing the right thing. Sometimes you have to stand up and be counted. It did for them in verse 12. But here's the thing. Here's the big point. When that happens, God is with us. Say that with me. When that happens... God is with us. Look at verses 24 to 30, the rest of the chapter. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. For these three young men, God entered into their punishment to save them from certain death. Now make no mistake, they should have died in that fire. Even the men who threw them in there died, the fire was so hot. But even in a glowing, blazing furnace, God who made that fire can control it. And so Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees a fourth person. And as bright as the flames are and as bright as the coals are, this fourth person is shining brighter. Shining brighter, glowing even beyond the coals. Years earlier, through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah had said, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. And now God showed them exactly what he meant by that. God entered into their punishment to deliver them from certain death because they stood up and did what was right. But here's the thing. 
is the important thing to catch. The fact that he delivered these three guys for doing what was right and saved them isn't a guarantee that if we do what was right, God will save us. You want my proof from the Bible? Here's the very simple proof. As those three men stood before Nebuchadnezzar, accused of a capital crime, a crime that would get them killed, you notice that they didn't even defend themselves? What did they say in verse 16? We have no need to even defend ourselves before you, O king. They were silent. 500 years later, another man accused of a capital crime would be silent. Standing before the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and then standing before Pontius Pilate, Jesus, accused of things that would get him killed, was silent. He gives no answer. Instead, he waits. He steps in. And he steps in because he knew what was needed. God, the Father, who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could have saved Jesus Christ. But he didn't. You realize this, right? Just like God saved them, He could have saved Jesus, but God the Father didn't. Why? Because the furnace of fire on earth is nothing compared to the fire of eternity. Because God knew, and Jesus as God knew, that we deserve a far worse furnace. Not an earthly one, but an eternal one. Because we worship the wrong things. Because we fail the test that these three passed. And we justly deserve our death sentence. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. And just like with the furnace, Jesus steps into our furnace, to yours and to mine. He enters into the punishment we deserve to save us from certain death, just like he did with these three. But you know what? He saved them because they'd done what was right. He saved us even because he knows we've done what was wrong. The rescue is eternal life. Christ steps into the furnace of God's wrath willingly for you and for me so that we never have to. And that puts our struggles in this world in a different perspective. You know what? Some people do die for their faith. It's happened throughout the history of the church. Many people have even been burned to death because they believed in Jesus. And God didn't save them. He saved those three, but there's no guarantee that he's then going to save every other one Sometimes it's a hard providence, but God's wisdom is not to save his people. And that means the fact that God rescued them in this life is not a guarantee that he would rescue you and me, whether from our mortgage or from our unemployment or from our loss of a friend or from our singleness or anything else. God may or may not fix all the things of this life. After all, he could have saved Jesus himself, but he didn't. But the fact that he saved these three young men is a guarantee that he will rescue you and me from eternal fire, that he will be with us in our trials that we have now. And so this becomes the question at the end. Will we see what's here or will we see what's real? Let me explain what I mean by that. Will we see what's here or will we see what's real? It's easy to see the things here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only had to look down to see the fire. They only had to put out their hand to feel the heat. It's easy to see what's in front of us. But what's here isn't the only thing that's real. There are all sorts of things that are real that our bodies can't sense. There are all sorts of things that are real that even our greatest technologies can't sense. 
But the fact that we can't see it, that we can't hear it, that doesn't make it unreal. God is real and heaven is real. Sin is real and yes, even hell is real. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could see what was real, not just what their eyes saw and what their ears heard and what their hands felt. And ultimately what was real held them and changed everything. They saw a miracle. But the real miracle came long before that. Will we? Let's pray together. God our Father, work in us the miracle you had worked in these three young men long before they stepped into the furnace. The miracle of having eyes to see and ears to hear. The miracle of recognizing what's true. The miracle of turning from sin and coming with faith to believe what you have done to believe that you died and rose and have saved us from our sin and therefore to be ready to worship you and you alone. Even as we come to do that more tonight, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.